Thank you, brother. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. If you're new with us, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. We're working our way through the New Testament book of Galatians, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chair in front of you. The passage we'll be looking at, considering this morning, uh, will be found on page 975 of the church Bible, page 975. Just look for the little heading that says, Keep in Step with the Spirit. That's where we'll be reading. And as we uh, normally do, I'll read the passage and ask for the Lord's help on our time together in His Word, and then um, we will get to work in the passage uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have been uh, really blessed by our time that we have spent together in the book of Galatians, and I just wanted to say this morning thank you to the members of this church for allowing me uh, to serve as one of your pastors and enabling me to be able to preach the Bible and teach the Bible week after week. It is truly one of the great joys of my life. I love being your pastor I love praying for you. I love hearing from you. I love being a part of your life. I love taking your calls. It is really a joy that you give to me. So thank you to the members here. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Let's read it, and then uh, we'll pray and, and get to work. This is the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. You are a gracious God, merciful and kind. You do not have to be coerced into goodness. You do not show grace to us reluctantly, but freely and happily. And so we ask because of Jesus for more grace this morning. So that as we read this passage, considering it together, you would teach us what it means to walk in the Spirit. And what it means to live and love and serve and give to make much of Jesus, to bring glory to Him and Him alone. Do this miracle in our hearts, through Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit, for the glory of Your name. Amen. Well, dear Christian, I have news. You are at war. You are at war. And this war, like any war, 
One of the most important things is to know who you are at war with, to know your opponent in this war. And your opponent in this war is not with Islam. It is not with liberalism or neo-Marxism. Your war is not with your incompetent supervisor at work. Your war is with your flesh, which means this war is internal. It is a civil war fought on the sacred battleground of your heart. And it's important to know that because if you don't know who your opponent is, you'll end up fighting the wrong person. You'll end up fighting your boss at work. You'll end up fighting your spouse. You'll end up fighting your fellow church members. You'll bite and devour one another until you destroy one another. And though you might win some battles at your workplace, in your marriage, and get your way at church, The war will continue because they are not the problem. They are not the enemy. The war is not with them out there. It is with this in here. It is with your sinful flesh. So the Apostle James wrote, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You are at war with your flesh, which means that you can't escape it, even if you relocate. You can relocate all you want, but you will take the enemy with you. You can leave your church, but you bring the problem to the next church. You can leave your relationship, but you bring the enemy to the next relationship. One of the greatest Christians who ever lived put it like this, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The Apostle Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 7, the very same man who wrote the letter before us. He is describing what is true of all Christians. We are engaged in an internal civil war. It is a war of competing desires. If you are a Christian, I want you to hear this. There is great hope for you in this war. You are guaranteed victory over the flesh. 
And so if you're here this morning and feeling weary in this battle with your flesh, if you are having limited success in overcoming temptation in your life, if you are tired of repenting of the same besetting sins week after week, and if you're feeling like you're about ready to give up, friend, lean into this text. This passage will fill you with gospel hope. So that's the most important thing I want you to know today. That no matter whether you've been a Christian for a month or for a lifetime, you have great hope. Victory over sin is certain. The Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. The same power that overcame death lives in you to enable you to overcome sin. So when it comes to winning the war over the flesh, I want you to be filled this morning with gospel hope. These next couple of weeks in Galatians 5 are going to be tremendously helpful for you in this battle with your flesh. So I would encourage you to marinate your soul in Galatians 5, 16 to 26. The big idea this morning is really easy to see. It's right there in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will have victory over the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will have victory over the flesh. There are three things in these three verses that I think will be helpful for you in this war against your flesh. And the first is the most simple of all of them, which is walk by the Spirit. So, let's look at verse 16 again a little closer. Paul writes, "'But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh.'" Notice that there is both a command in verse 16 and a promise in verse 16. The command, walk by the Spirit. That's an imperative. We're being told to do something. But the promise is you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a command with a promise. So, if in your heart of hearts, more than anything, you want to honor the Lord with your life, if you want to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, And if you're a Christian, you do, then you are told how to do that. This is the how. How do I love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? How? Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. So, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? The concept is not difficult. It's not overcomplicated. The New International Version translates it well, saying, live by the Spirit. The word translated in your Bible as walk refers to the way you conduct your life, the way you live. It means to have your whole life, moment by moment, directed by, animated by, motivated by the Spirit of God. It's to align your life, your affections, with the things that are most important to the Spirit of God. 
So think of it like saying yes to the Holy Spirit. A lot of us think that being a Christian, following Jesus means mostly saying no to things that you want. And, you know, of course, following Jesus does mean that you will say no to things. But mostly being a Christian is about saying yes. It's saying yes to the Spirit of God leading us into what's, what brings glory to God and what leads to our flourishing and joy. It is saying yes to what brings glory to God and what leads to our happiness. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So I need to say something to the non-Christians in the room. I'm, I'm very glad you're here. Church on Sunday morning is really the best place for you to be. But there are some things that I'm going to talk about today that are going to be new to you. This whole idea of a, an internal civil war in the Christian life might seem a really, really kind of a strange concept to you. And this is because all of your life, you have been told to be yourself. You've been told that who you are is who you feel yourself to be. You've been told that you need to be your authentic self, and that happiness in your life comes from the fulfillment of your desires. But the Christians in the room follow Jesus, who taught us that we are not who we feel ourselves to be. Jesus didn't teach us to be ourselves. Jesus taught us to deny ourselves. Here's the thing. If Jesus Christ was a good moral teacher and a, and a good religious leader, then that's a fine thing to say, but it's nothing you want to stake your life on. But Jesus isn't a good moral teacher. He isn't just a good religious leader. Jesus Christ is God Himself. Christians have come to understand that Jesus knows far better what is best for us than we do. Christians have come to understand that Jesus loves us more than we even love ourselves. Jesus is more committed to your happiness than even you are. And so Christians trust Jesus in what He says, because after all, He knows what's best for us. And so before we go any further in this text, I want to make an appeal to you, my non-Christian guest. This week, read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one from under the chair in front of you, bring that one home. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, it's towards the back of the Bible, and read the whole thing. It's only 16 chapters, won't take you super long. But I want you to be asking questions as you do. Ask, who is this Jesus? Who does He claim to be? Can I trust in what He says? What has He done for me that would make me trust in Him? And then after you're done doing that, reach out to someone who looks like a regular around here and ask them to read Mark with you. And ask those questions with that person. And I know them. I know that they'd be delighted to help you 
to encounter this Jesus that they have. And when you turn from sin and trust in Him, you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll be joined to Jesus, who is the source of joy, and you'll actually find out who it is that you truly are. Do that this week. Cornerstone, I want you to notice that the word spirit in verses 16 to 18 is capitalized in your Bible. And this is because Paul is referring to God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. God, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned seven times in verse 16 to 26. And this is because He plays a central role in this civil war against the flesh. The Bible teaches that there is one God who eternally exists. It's three equally divine persons, this Father and Son and Spirit, who all three love and enjoy and glorify one another. And the whole Godhead is involved in bringing sinners into salvation. The Father elects, the Son affects, and the Spirit seals. This is why Jesus taught us to baptize new believers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One of the roles of God the Holy Spirit in your life is to enable you to see Jesus, to empower you to be satisfied in Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to bring glory to Jesus. And throughout the Bible, this is what we see the Holy Spirit doing, applying the effects of the cross to the people of God. The Spirit of God works through the Word of God to apply the power of God to the people of God to transform them into the likeness of the Son of God. So, this is why Paul says, in this war with the flesh, walk by the Spirit. It means that we conduct ourselves according to the desires of the Spirit of God. We say yes to God the Holy Spirit every moment of our life. We say yes to the way we do, the way we think, the way we feel, to align those things with the way Jesus did and the way Jesus thought and the way Jesus felt. And then Paul promises that when you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a guarantee. To gratify means to carry out, to obey desires of the flesh. So when you're walking with the Spirit of God, when you live by the Spirit of God, you are free from having to scratch the itch of the flesh. You are free from the slavery to sinful cravings. You can say yes to the Holy Spirit and no to the flesh. So what are these desires of the flesh? Well, the Old English Bibles use the word lust instead of desire, which actually is probably a better word than desire. But almost every modern English speaker hears lust and they think, in terms of sex, so modern translators go with desire. Desires of the flesh are not just sexual 
cravings. They are these all-controlling, life-ruling desires, cravings to get something that only God can give. It is our attempt to fill the emptiness that we feel with something other than God. Those are the desires of the flesh. I'll give you some examples. So, we, we want to feel safe. And that's good, to want to feel safe. God made you to want to feel safety. And this is because God is your refuge. And God wants you to run to Him to feel safe. The desires of the flesh look to our own way, our own wisdom to make us feel safe, something other than God to make us feel safe. Or we want to feel accepted. We want to feel accepted. That's a good thing. God made us to want to feel accepted. That's because through Christ, that's how we are accepted. So, this, would, this feeling would drive us to Christ through whom we would find acceptance with God. The desires of the flesh want to find acceptance in some other way. The desires of the flesh want to find acceptance with God by keeping God's commandments. If I do this, then God will accept me. The desires of the flesh would drive us to want to look for acceptance from others. I'll climb into bed with this person, then they'll accept me. When Paul refers to the flesh in Galatians, he usually means that drive in us to self-preservation, self-salvation. The flesh is the part of us that seeks to save ourselves by our own efforts, by our own wisdom. The part of us that seeks satisfaction in life in something other than God. And as I mentioned earlier, the Spirit works in our lives to cause us to savor Christ and to be satisfied in Christ, but the flesh seeks to be satisfied in its own way. And the flesh's way and God's way, they're opposites. They are opposed to one another. One brings satisfaction, one ruins satisfaction. They are incompatible. And this is what Paul says in verse 17. So, let's read it again. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is the civil war of desire in your heart. The desire of your heart is to seek satisfaction in its own way. The desire of the Spirit is to seek satisfaction in God's way. Those two things are opposed. One drives out the other. The desires of the flesh keep you from doing what you deep down most want to do. You're conflicted. Because the Spirit of God wants to see Jesus at the center of everything in your life, and your flesh wants to see you at the center of everything in your life. Because the Spirit of God knows firsthand that when Jesus is the center, you will be fully satisfied, perfectly happy. And so the Spirit desires to see Jesus glorified as your Savior, but your flesh deeply wants you to be glorified as your Savior. The Spirit wants to see Jesus glorified as your provider, but your flesh wants you to be glorified as your provider. 
And so, fellow Christian, this is the war that you feel inside of you every day. Your desires are conflicted. The desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh are at war. And the thing that you want to do, you struggle to do. And the thing that you don't want to do is the very thing that comes so natural to you. Every Christian knows what this is like. So you sit under the proclamation of God's Word on a Sunday morning, and you hear something in the Word, and the Spirit convicts you. Jesus is not the center of this part of your life. Maybe it's your finances. The Spirit is saying to you, the Spirit is saying, Jesus is not the center of your finances. He needs to be the center of your finances. You need to begin giving generously. And in that moment, you're convicted by God, the Holy Spirit. You, You thank God for that. And you resolve that week, you're going to redo your your finances, you're going to redo the budget, you're going to change the way you spend, and you're going to start giving generously. And you leave here and you're just ready to go, charged up, and then then a normal week happens and your, your spending hasn't changed. And you come to church the next week, and even though you you deeply want to be generous, you're You're just not, and you feel defeated. Or you meet with a pastor wanting to resolve some conflict in your life, and through the Word, the Spirit convicts you of your sin in this matter, and you say yes to the Spirit of God leading you to go to your friend and to confess your sin to her. The pastor says you should should meet with her face to face, but you know how she is. Texting would be so much easier, and so you type out this big, long text. You read it six times, but you never send it. Saturday night rolls around, you've still not met with her, and you know Sunday morning's coming, pastor's going to ask you how that meeting went, and you feel ashamed, you feel convicted, and you don't go to church. Or the moment the words came spilling out of your mouth, you knew it was sinful. Can't seem to get a handle on this anger problem in your life. Frustration builds. You lash out like you always do, cutting him down. Your words are like swords. Your anger is like a hot iron searing his heart and killing the nerve endings in your marriage. He needs to know what he did wrong. Now he knows. And now I'm convicted again. And I repent to the Lord knowing that I did wrong again. And I resolve in that moment, this is the last time. I'm not lashing out anymore. Which was the same thing you said last time. And the time before that. And you feel defeated. It doesn't seem like you're getting any victory over sin. This is the war against the flesh. And so, if any of that, if if you resonate with any of that, I want to encourage you in a couple of things. The first is this. Please know, this war that you feel is an evidence that you are a Christian. This turmoil and frustration you feel with your flesh, this is evidence that you are in Christ. If you're weary 
in this battle. Keep fighting. Friend, a Christian is not someone who lacks a desire to sin. A Christian is someone who is at war with that desire to sin. Don't give up. If you don't quit, you win. So whether you're seeing great strides in the sanctification in your life, or you're seeing little strides, don't give up. The danger is not your desire for sin. The danger is when you don't desire to kill it. Keep fighting. Second thing, if you resonate with this like tired of repenting the same doggone thing over and over again, if if that's you, the second thing I want to say to you is that victory is certain. That one day soon, the clouds will part and the Lord of glory will appear in the heavens and every eye will see Him. And in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet of God, the Spirit will have His way. And you will shed this sin-sick, disease-riddled shell. This lowly body will become like His glorious body. The perishable will put on imperishable. The mortal body will put on immortality. Death will be swallowed up in victory. The sting of death will be removed and the power of sin will be defeated. God will have given you victory through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes, your base desires, the desire underneath all the other's desires will be perfectly fulfilled. The things that you've always wanted but just couldn't quite name, they'll be yours forever. You will be able to love God freely and fully. You'll be able to love others freely and fully. You'll be able to worship God without distractions. Frustrations will melt into an ever-deepening satisfaction in God. Anxiety will be gone. Depression will be cured. Joy will come from inside and from outside without measure. The one who promised that he would come after you and bring you to himself is true to his word. He is faithful. He is true. This is your future. This is guaranteed. This is as certain as the grave is empty. Don't quit. Keep fighting. You are not promised ease, but you are promised victory. Until then, You fight. Ultimate victory is coming. And in God's wonderful goodness, we get a little taste of that victory even now as we follow the Spirit. Verse 18. But in this war, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This means that you can have victory over your flesh today by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. You're not under the law. You're not a slave to those sinful cravings. We've seen this several times in this series. Paul saying you're not under the law. So in, in theological terms, that means that the law has no role in justification. 
Obeying the law will not make you right with God. As Pastor Steve just said a minute ago, only Christ makes you right with God. So the law has no role in justification. The law's role is in sanctification. It's the role of the law to show us that we are already right with God. You're not under the law, so you don't have to work hard, climb ladders to gain acceptance with God. You're not under the law. The law is under you. Meaning it is the roadway by which you walk to show that you are accepted with God. Do you remember back in verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? The law is under us, tells us how to love one another, tells us how to love God. It is the path the Spirit brings us along. And so we walk by the Spirit, but we are also led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit means that He's the locomotive, and the law is the tracks. We climb the hills of life, we bank the dangerous curves, not in our own strength, not by our own wisdom, not by making our own way, but by being connected to the Spirit of God who carries us along the railway. And as we are connected to the Spirit of God, He keeps us on the right track, enabling us, empowering in us everything that the law requires, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So let's put this all together. The Spirit of God desires that Jesus would be central in all you do, in all you think, all you feel, in your whole life. But your flesh desires that you would be central in all you do and think and feel in your whole life. And if we walk by the Spirit, if we are led by the Spirit, we are guaranteed to say no to the flesh and say yes to the Holy Spirit, and we will have freedom, and we will have joy, we'll be happy. We'll be who God created us to be. So that's the theory. That's the doctrine which is all great, preacher man, but what does that do for me on Monday morning? How does this truth apply when I'm feeling tempted to the desires of the flesh, which I know are wrong? How do I win victory in this war against my flesh tomorrow morning? When I'm feeling tempted to lash out in anger, to overindulge in food and drink, When I'm being tempted to seek affirmation from someone who isn't my spouse, when my desires are conflicted, when I'm feeling like in the trenches of this war, what do I do? Well, circle back to verse 17. There's something at the end of verse 17, which I think is helpful to put some feet under this. So, Paul says, the desires of the Spirit, the desires of the flesh are opposed, and he says, they keep you The desires of the flesh keep you from doing the things that you, what's the word? Want to do. Desires of the flesh keep you from doing the things you want to do. Remember, Paul 
Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't have the ability to carry them out. So as a Christian, when you said yes to Jesus to save you, He gave you a new heart, new desires, new wants. And those wants, those desires, at the very base level, they bring glory to Jesus. So if you are in Christ, the things you want most in your life, the desires underneath all the other desires, is to honor the Lord with your life. It's to make Jesus big. And you struggle to make Jesus big because you have these other competing desires. So what do you do? How do you push out those bad desires in favor of the good ones? At first glance, it would seem the best way to win the war against the flesh on Monday morning would be to suppress the desires of your flesh. Just push them down. And there's some truth to that. But if that's all you do, if all you do is trying to suppress desires, you'll not have great victory. The human heart can't suppress completely. It has to desire something. There's something that has to be central in your life. So if you kill one lust, another one will just take its place, like trying to stomp on a a half-filled balloon. The air just pushes to one side or the other. You try to suppress one desire, it'll just shift to another one. So think about an airplane flying through the air weighs 400,000 pounds. The force of gravity hasn't given up on that plane. It's constant. It's still acting on that plane. The moment that the airplane pilot kills the engines, the force of gravity takes over and pulls it to the ground and crashes. So how does a 400,000-pound hunk of steel fly around like a bird? It employs a power that's more powerful than gravity, and it flies through the air. On this side of eternity, the desires of your flesh will always be in force in your life. But as a Christian, you employ a force more powerful than the flesh. The force of the power of the Spirit of God. And so the solution to overcoming your flesh isn't suppression of wrong desires as much as it is overwhelming wrong desires with better ones. Our problem isn't that we desire too much, it's that we desire too little. C.S. Lewis said that when we settle for sin, it's because we're too easily pleased. There are far greater pleasures offered to you, dear Christian, when you follow the Spirit of God. And the great irony of the Christian life that I mentioned earlier, is that the more that you try to be yourself, the less like your true self you actually are. 
But when you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, you find your true self. You find who you were made to be. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve had mentioned a sermon by a Puritan named Thomas Chalmers. The title of the sermon is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in that sermon, he deals with this very thing. It's a pretty helpful sermon. You might not be in the practice of reading sermons, which I totally understand, especially Puritan ones. But I did, I did include a copy of this sermon on the church's website. If you go to the church, you click on sermons, you do some resources down there, you can, you can read this. I think it'll be helpful for you. One of the things that Chalmers says in that sermon is that the way to dispossess the human heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. The heart brought under the mastery of one great predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires. What he's saying is that the Spirit empowers in us a love for God, a vision of the glory of God, a deep and abiding satisfaction in God, and this satisfaction that you have in Jesus expels all counterfeit satisfactions. So how will you gain victory over the flesh in your life? How do you gain victory on Monday? You get happy in Jesus. The man whose heart is overwhelmed by the free grace of God, the riches of God in Christ, that man is free from greed because a happy man is a generous man. The woman who's satisfied in God's free acceptance of her is not controlled by the fear of confronting a friend in conflict because a happy woman is a fearless woman. The one who knows that God hears him, loves him, is pleased with him, isn't captive to uncontrollable fits of rage. Because a happy man is a peaceful man. So this week, victory over sin in your life will not come by trying harder to overcome desire, but it will come by resting better in the one who already has. Follow the Spirit of God to the source of your satisfaction and your delight to Jesus Himself, and your affection for Jesus will drive out any affection you have for sin. That's a promise. Get happy in Jesus, and you will overcome the desires of the flesh. Because when you've seen real gold, fool's gold loses its luster. So fight. Yes, fight. And as much as you're fighting against the flesh, fight for this. Fight to keep your soul satisfied in Christ. Which is another way of saying, walk by the Spirit and you will have victory over the flesh. Let's pray.
Lord, who do we have in heaven but you? Words cannot express how grateful we are for your kindness to us. You set your love on us. You sent your Son to save us. You sealed us by your Spirit. You've enabled us to taste the heavenly joys of being like Christ even now. And Lord, we confess that we've been looking at holiness all wrong. We've been reluctant to walk by your Spirit. We have grieved Him. Will you forgive us? We have viewed your commandments as burdensome, not as pathways to joy. And we've resisted your Spirit leading us. And in your mercy, will you please forgive us? Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from us. In your grace, give our hearts a greater sense of His will, of His desires, His leading, and give us hearts to love Him, to love His still, small voice, to love His gentle correction. Will you grant to us the reality that we read about in these verses? That in your presence there is joy, fullness of joy. And that your word is our guide to draw us to Jesus and to satisfy our every longing. Make Jesus our all in all. Amen. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have an assurance from Psalm 103 verse 12, where we read that as far as the east is from the west, So far does He remove our transgressions.